have your Bibles. I got a lot to cover this morning. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. You can hold your finger in there. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. We'll start in verse 1 in a few moments. But... Yeah, thank you. I'll take that. Um, A number of years ago in uh, 2008, some of you guys have heard this story. I'm not going to go into great detail on it, but we were pastoring a church in Nashville. And it was Mother's Day of 2008. And honestly, I was really sick of church and I was tired of being a pastor. I didn't want to do it anymore. And really the reason why is because there was no God in it. And... I kept just saying, God, if you're really real, I need you to show up and do something. So Mother's Day of 2008, he did. It was a really strange way he showed up. It blew my theology box up. It didn't just take God out of the box. It took God out of the box and then blew the box up. (laughs) And it it had a profound impact on my life. um, And it really changed my sense of order. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Do you? The first Corinthians 14, let everything be done decently and in order. And I thought I had a good understanding of what order was, but then God showed up and I started to recognize his sense of order is completely different than my sense of order. My sense of order was everything neat and in a row and everything planned and programmed and structured and done really, really well and really, really nice. God's sense of order isn't anything like that. Here's the thing. Here's the picture I like to look at. If you go into our kids' room, two doors down, you're going to see them, like, engaging. They may be loud, especially in the preschool room. They're playing. They're doing stuff. And we might think that's out of order, but that really is order. If you really want earth man's kind of order, go to a cemetery. There's, There's perfect order there. All the stones are lined up. Everybody's where they're supposed to be. Nobody's moving. Well, unfortunately, that was my understanding of what order looked like in the church. Now, I wouldn't have said that, but that really was my understanding of order. The problem with it is there's no life in it, right? Um, when, when anybody been around a child or being around when a child is born? Yeah, I was there for all three of mine. There is nothing order about that. <laughs> There really wasn't. Not man's order. order. It wasn't, but it was beautiful and it was God's order. So you see what I'm saying? My sense of order got radically, radically shifted. I started to discover that there is a divine order and the divine order is for the purpose of life. It's not for the purpose of structure. Because structure is good, but structure is meant to hold the life of God. Right? Right? You and I have structure in our bodies, don't we? It's called our skeletal system. But it's not the thing that's seen. It's incredibly important, but it's not the thing that's seen. We need it. What needs to be seen is life itself. Aren't you glad you don't see my skeletal Some of you can kind of see my skeletal structure. I don't know. People always, every year, they're wanting to get in shape. And I always say that. I am in shape. I'm a, a pencil. Pencil is a shape. No, just kidding. All right, stop. My son's on the front row. Go and stop it. Structure, in, in other words, structure is never intended to serve itself. It's always intended to serve something greater. It's always intended to serve life. And I quote this proverb 
often. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there is no oxen, the stall is clean. But much work comes from the use of an ox. In other words, my translation of that would be, When God shows up, get the shovel out. Because things get messy. As a matter of fact, Hebrews talks about that. Hebrews 4, I believe, even talks about that. It says when the rain of God comes, whatever is in the heart begins to grow. If there's corns and carrots in the heart, then that what, that's what grows. But if there's thorns and thistles, then that what, that's what grows. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing that things get messy, even things get dirty. Because you know how it is, if you know anything about gardening, it's much easier to pull weeds out when the soil's wet. And it's the same thing with the presence of God. He shows up and it seems to blow our sense of order out of the water, but it makes things so much easier to get cleaned up. So are we okay with that? Are we okay with having order that doesn't look like normal man's order, but God's order? I hope so. Because that's what really we're going after here. Um, Andy's right. Our number one priority here is the presence of God. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we come prepared, we come with stuff, but what we really are after is for God to show up and just totally wreck the place. Uh, has anybody in here ever had a profound encounter with God that changed the course of your life? Right? Okay, more than half of you in here, and you know what I'm talking about. And those of you who haven't, it's the most wonderful thing. It is the most wonderful thing ever to have God show up and just wreck everything you thought to be true, only to show you what the kingdom and what heaven really looks like and say, this is what it's about. And it's so freeing. It's so wonderful. So I got free in 08. I got free of a lot of baggage and a lot of old stuff that really wasn't that good. And we're moving into new things. I want to tell you a story real quick. 1 Samuel 6. You don't need to turn there now. But 1 Samuel 6 is the story of David. He had just become king. And he's going to get the Ark of the Covenant. Saul, who was the predecessor, had lost reverence, had lost respect, had lost regard for the presence of God. And because of it, the Ark of the Covenant ended up getting stolen by the Philistines, which is really interesting because God was right there on the Ark, right? You guys know they had the cherubim on the top, right? And right below that was called the what? The mercy seat, and that's where God resided. This baffles me. I look back at these old covenant things, I'm like, how does this even work? How do you steal God? But the Philistines did. It's weird, right? It's like, I mean, they, if they didn't have God's presence, they were not doing anything, even... Even Moses was saying that if your presence isn't going with us, we don't want to go. I'm not going anywhere. So the presence is, is amazing. It's like everything. So in the Old Covenant, we see that the presence of God resided in that spot. It baffles me. And the Philistines stole him. Now, it cost them. Oh, yeah. Because the Philistines, they steal the ark. They go move it into their temple, in their temple of Dagon, the god Dagon. And as it's in the temple, you know, they put it in there one day. They come back the next morning. They find their big statue of Dagon. It fell on the floor. So they're like, oh, man, that's not good. Let's pick Dagon up. Let's put him back up. So they picked Dagon up, put him back up, went to sleep that night, got up the next morning. There he is on the floor again. This time his head's broken off and his hands are broken off. So the Philistines, they've got this ark and things aren't going well for them. I mean, it's going really, really bad. They're getting tumors like crazy. So they say, hey, let's take it away from our temple. Let's move it over to our neighbor's temple over here. And the neighbors are like, okay, we'll take it. They put it in the temple there. What happens? Tumors. Everybody's breaking out. Acne. Whatever you want to call it. They can't get their hair right. Nothing's going well for them. (laughs) 
So they say, hey, let's move it from this. Let's move it to somebody else. And by this time, everybody and, you know, all the Philistines are going, wait, hang on a second. We've heard what's happening over there. We don't want to have anything to do with it. So they end up sending it off into somebody else's house. And it sits there for a long time. And then David says, I'm going to get that ark. He goes to get the ark. But when he goes to get it, he doesn't have a clear understanding of what the presence of God really requires. So you guys know the story. He goes and gets the ark. He goes and gets the ark in the same fashion that the Philistines had carried the ark around, which was on an ox cart. You guys are familiar with the story, right? He puts it on an ox cart. Never a good idea. Never a good idea to try to put God on man's structures. It's never a good idea to say, God, this is what we're doing. Come bless it. It's much, much better to say, God, what are you blessing? I want to get in on that. You see the difference? So David goes and gets the ark. He puts it on a cart. They start carrying it down the street, and everybody's all happy, whatever. Uzzah's walking along the side of it. The oxen stumble. The ark starts to tip over and fall, and Uzzah reaches up, and he touches it with his hand, and immediately God strikes him dead, and he falls to the ground. Now, at this point, everything comes to a screeching halt. David's ticked at this point. He's ticked, and he's afraid. He doesn't know what to do with it. So he takes it, and he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it over here in the house of Obed-Edom. That's a fun name, right? You wonder about names like that in the old covenant. You're like, where is that? Why did they do that? I just, Obed Edom. It's like Mephibosheth. Those are really, Ishbosheth. What what does that really mean? I'm like, so Obed Edom gets the ark. It sits in his house. Dude is getting blessed like crazy. I mean, he was bald. His hair came back. It was amazing. Stuff started, I don't know that, but I think that happened, so. Again, we'll get the DVD when we get to heaven. We'll look at it. And we'll see what really happened. But well, all of this stuff, just wonderful blessings and favor started landing on Obed-Edom. And David starts to hear about it. And he goes, hey, maybe we ought to go get that thing. So David finally goes back to the owner's manual. And he says, how are we supposed to carry this? And he finds out that it's not carried on an ox cart. It's carried on the shoulders of the priest. Which is, we all know this, but it's, just, it's worth repeating again that the presence of God is carried on us right it used to be a select few but now it's carried on us in other words it rests on man not on what man creates now this it, it rests on man not on what man creates this is why it blows me away when we think like even an organization like this I am I am constantly, fearfully aware of the fact that this thing is called Acts 2 Church, and it's an organization, it's a not-for-profit, you know, all that stuff. It's got its man-made structures, but the presence of God does not rest on those structures. The presence of God does not rest on the ministry, it rests on the man. It rests on you and me. Okay, that's a good word right there. Jump forward a little bit. David gets the ark. He brings it back. He sets it up in a tabernacle. Now, I told you to turn to 1 Chronicles, right? Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1. Here's where we pick up. So they brought the ark of God, set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected. Then they burnt, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. 
Asaph the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, then Jael, then another guy's name, then another guy's name, then Obed-Edom, then another guy's name, with music and cymbals. Benaniah, Jehaziel, the priest, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now, this is really interesting because David builds a tabernacle. Now, we, looking through the Word of God, we don't have a real clear picture on what this tabernacle looked like. We have incredible clarity on the tabernacle of Moses, and we have incredible clarity on the temple of Solomon. I mean, crazy kind of detail that's laid out, intricate detail. But when it comes to this thing of David, it's not very clear. All we hear is that it's a tabernacle and that... It was David. But David does something here which is completely out of the box. It was completely out of order. Because in the old covenant, the the ark was set in the tabernacle, and who could go in? The high priest, and how often could he go in? Once a year. Now David's setting up something completely different here. And we're still old covenant. He sets up the ark inside of a tent of some kind... And he's having all the priests go in around it, and they're playing music around it. That is so odd. But why? I believe it's because we understand David was a man after God's own heart, right? David caught new covenant realities while he was living in an old covenant. He had some kind of revelation. I mean, so much so that Jesus, God himself, is named after David. Jesus is called the son of David. That's crazy, right? So here we have David doing something that's so completely out of order, outside the structure, and it's like God's totally thrilled with it. He's pleased with it. Why? I think David caught this. It's not about the structure. Even in the Old Covenant, there was no sacrifice of Jesus. There, it's not about the structure. It's not about the outward sacrifice. Psalm 51, right? Everybody's familiar with Psalm 51. That's the psalm David wrote after Nathan confronted him about the sin with Bathsheba and killing her husband. And he says later on in Psalm 51, he says, Sacrifice and burnt offering you haven't desired. What? Now that makes sense to us, but think back for a minute. This is completely out of the box. There is no other substitute for burnt offering and sacrifice. There's nothing. It's totally outside their grid. But Jesus, Jesus, Paul, not Paul, those are good guys. Let me back up in time a little bit. David, yes. David got a hold of it. He recognized something about the presence of God and how it was intended to be for people, not something that they would shy away from, but to be completely connected to. He says, burnt offering, sacrifice you haven't desired, but a broken and a contrite heart. He recognized that what God was looking for was not something that we do. It's something that we bring from here. It's about worship, church. You see here that David brought into the presence of the ark where he was had the, all, all the priests there, not just the high priest, all the priests were playing music. Turn over to Second Chronicles 29 for a minute. I got a lot of things for you to look at. Is everybody still with me? Yes. Second Chronicles 29. This is much later on. Hezekiah has become king. This is years later. Hezekiah has now become king. And remember, David's gone and there's, a, there's an order. The high priests are all supposed to, you know, all this stuff. There's an order, but here it, it breaks again. Hezekiah becomes king, verse, chapter 29, verse 25. And here's what it says of Hezekiah when he's restoring worship. He's restoring temple worship. It says this, And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, 
according to the commandment of David, of Gad the seer, of the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets. It's the worship of David that's restored. It's not the worship of Moses that's restored. And this is still Old Covenant. They, weren't, they were still doing sacrifice, but they weren't bringing to it bulls and goats, but they were bringing praise. And let me suggest to you this morning about all of this, that that tabernacle of David was a prototype for our New Testament church. It's, 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 the, new, it's the new normal, if you would. And it's being established still in the Old Covenant. Amos chapter 9 verse 11 says this, I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't raise up the tabernacle of Moses or the tabernacle of Solomon. Amos! Amos! you got to love Amos. He's credited for being one of the prophets that sang all of his prophecies. Isn't that interesting? So that word comes through Amos, the worshiping prophet. It comes about worship being restored, but not in the order of Moses or in the order of Solomon. It's in the order of David. Come on, that's good news. Fast forward again. We're in Acts chapter 2 up to about Acts chapter 10. We know what happens in Acts chapter 2. God shows up. We talked about it two or three weeks ago. God shows up. The house of God shifts. It's no longer in temples. It now becomes us. Come on. You're a house of God. It's shifted in Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit now is on humanity. If you don't believe me, look at the word. It's what prophet Joel prophesied. I will pour up my spirit on what? Oh, so who gets in on it? Okay. It's not a select few. We got we to stop with our gospel of exclusion. We got poured out. We get to Acts chapter 2. We see what happens there. Acts chapter 3, some great stories. Gate, gate beautiful, all that stuff. Acts chapter 4, 5. And, and really, you see in Acts, in case you didn't know this, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, all of those are happening chronologically about a year apart. So Acts chapter 2 happens, and Acts chapter 3 is about a year later. 4 is about a year later, roughly. Until you get up to Acts chapter 10. Did you guys know in Acts chapter 10, where Peter, he, he goes into a trance, And he has a vision of a sheet coming down with all kinds of animals in it. And the Lord says, kill it and eat it. He goes, no, God, it's unclean. I'm not going to touch that thing. This vision happens two or three times. And finally, he hears the Lord say to him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. What do you mean? Well, he gets this vision. Somebody comes knocking on the door saying, hey, you're supposed to go to Cornelius' house. An angel came to him said, you're supposed to go. So he gets up. He goes to Cornelius' house. He starts talking about the person of Jesus. Holy Spirit falls on him. They begin speaking in tongues. And Peter goes, why can't they be baptized? It's the first account we have of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. Now, this is important. Hold on to this. This is important. This is what happens. It's up 10 years after Holy Spirit's given that this starts to happen. The Gentiles are now coming into the kingdom of God. And as they continue to come into the kingdom of God, things get a little weird. We get to Acts chapter 15. Turn there. We get to Acts chapter 15 and things are getting so out of control that they have to have a meeting to figure out what are we supposed to do with all of these Gentiles who are coming into the kingdom. Why is this important? Gentiles don't have the grid that the Jews had. Right? Right? 
So all the sacrifices, all the worship, all the feast, all, all the stuff that the Jews had as part of their life, the Gentiles don't have that. As a matter of fact, it's totally pagan. A lot of their stuff is totally pagan, which I got to throw this in here. When we do missions, we've kind of done a disservice to the world a lot with our missions because we go in and we try to take our culture with them instead of, instead of honoring what's there in the culture. If you don't believe me, look what happened after World War II when we totally obliterated Japan. We sent missionaries in there, which we should have done. We sent missionaries in there. But right after that, in the 60s and a little bit after that, even into the 70s, you know what the churches in Japan look like? Look exactly like our churches. You know what kind of clothes they were wearing? Our clothes. Instead of... This is a, this is a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I'm just sharing it with you. It's, it's not, we're not there to change that. We're there to bring the kingdom and let it flow through them. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. And, and, you know, even in America, we call ourselves a melting pot, right? Of all different cultures and stuff. I don't like that. It, we're not a melting pot. We should be a salad bowl. I don't want the arugula to change from the onion. I want it all. I like it together. It looks really good. So, okay, I'm done with my little thing there. I'm just saying that all of the Gentiles, they're coming into the kingdom of God. The Jews see it, but they have no idea what to do with it. So they come together and they have this meeting. What should they do? Should they go through circumcision? Should they not? Finally, James, he stands up and he says this. Hey, guys. I think he said it just like that. I'm in Acts chapter 15. Let's start at verse 13. After they had become silent, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as that is written. And he's talking about, here it is, the Amos passage. Listen to this. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. You know, I've, I've had encounters with Jesus. I really have. But I love the body of, so, body of Christ so much. I really cannot wait till I can have an encounter with David. Yeah. I'm serious. I'm, I want to talk to the dude. I want to be like, what? How? That's absolutely amazing. Think about this for a minute. Old covenant dude. Hundreds of years before Jesus catches something about the realities of Jesus and lives it so much so that he's called a man after God's own heart. How many people... I mean, we don't have New Testament people walking that close. That blows me away. I just, I want to have a conversation with him. I just want to talk to you a minute. Come here. Dude created instruments. Dude changed everything. I mean, his, you talk about shifting cultures. All of what he, and here we have it right here. Amos referring back to it. And then we have it here. Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, the leaders of the church at that time are coming back and saying, aha, I get it. That's what was happening. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. Listen, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Come on, come on. Shall I read that again? Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Wow. Says the Lord who does all these things. Here's the deal. David experiences the presence. Amos prophesies about its return. And then James gets a revelation about it and says, God's rebuilding what existed a long time ago. 
What's the connection between Gentiles coming to the Lord and worshiping community? Here's what Amos 9, 11 through 12 says. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. In other words, church, when we become a true worshiping community, the Gentiles, the lost, begin to come. This is kind of a painful thing to realize here. Because if our worship really isn't bringing in the lost, then we have to ask, what are we missing? Because that's what God was restoring. A true worshiping church will see people coming to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all about the church, and I'm committed to the church. My primary DNA inside of me is this one thing. I want to see the church set free. I want to see them set free from religious bondages, from old mindsets that are just old, that we in the church even applaud. But they're old, and they're not good. They're not healthy. We talked about one of them last week. Us in churches, especially in our charismatic realms, we get together and say, Oh, God, rend the heavens and come down. Rend the heavens, not even realizing that he already did that and the heavens never closed and we don't have to beg for that. Well, what do you mean? Yes, you have it. You have it. You have Holy Spirit inside of you. He's landed on top of you. He's inside you. It's that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Come on, right? Let's stop begging God to do things that he's already done. How about we start going, God, help my mind to understand this. Because if there's any block, it's not on your part. The block exists primarily between our ears. I'm fascinated with this verse in first, um, no, it's Colossians 121. It says, you who were at enmity in your minds. You who were at enmity with God in your minds. Come on, that's a, good, that's a good word right there. That helps us understand something. The enmity that we have with God is not because of sin. Because it's been removed. But we feel this thing of separation and I can't get to God and it's the brass heavens and all this stuff that we use all the time. Really? It's in the mind. Because he's restored everything. He's made his Holy Spirit in, t- in wonderful connection with him. Hebrews talks about he's opened up a new and living way. Not just a new way, it's a new and living way. A true worshiping church will see people coming to Jesus. Okay, now, turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 6. You guys heard the story. You heard all of that stuff here. Excuse me. I'm going to take you through a little bit. And then we're going to do something here. And it's going to be awesome. First, sorry, 2 Samuel. I said first. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 12, you know the, the precursor to this story. Verse 12, 2 Samuel chapter 6. I can't talk. Now it was told David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. My understanding is this was a 15-mile trek. Think about this. 15-mile trek. Six paces. Stop. Sacrifice. Pick it all up and do it again. That was a lot. 
Verse 14. This is part of my favorite stuff here. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Which is the equivalent of wearing like your, uh, I don't know, it's not quite like BVDs. It'd be a little bit more than that. But I mean, he's, for the most part, uncovered. Verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpets. Here it is again, all of that being restored, right? Look down at verse 16. I'm sorry, 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, which is really interesting. That's his wife, but she's never called his wife. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today? You catch the sarcasm? Uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of the house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this. And I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her birth. Now, or death, sorry. It's one of those things, one of those key moments in life. She had no children till the day of her death. Now, we don't know why. It could be that God closed her up, that she couldn't have kids. It could be that David was just never intimate with her anymore. We don't know. But all we know is she never bore kids after that. Why? I believe it's in the despising of extravagance that we get ourselves in trouble. Remember, I started talking about the whole order thing and how oftentimes we think, well, that's crazy. That's just, that just that, that's not church. That really isn't church. I'm telling you guys, growing up in the church, I was exposed to a lot of different things. Methodist, Baptist, Episcopal, uh, charismatic, super crazy charismatic, Pentecostal. I've been around a lot of different types of churches and involved in them. And, and I know, I've seen it. There are some that are just, you know, it's very straight, solid, you know. My father-in-law comes from a Methodist church where it's very high church. It's robes, it's acolytes, it's the candles. It's very traditional. God still shows up in that, by the way. But I've been in things that just go like, what the heck? This is like a zoo. I've been in some really crazy stuff. And guys, honestly, some of it is just flesh. It is. But you know what? It really, at the end of the day, am I called to be the decency and an order policeman? No, I'm not. I'm not the decency and order policeman. My job is to find life. That's what I'm looking for. So what happens if you get in a situation where people are just acting crazy and it's just their flesh? Whatever, let them act in their flesh. It's an identity issue. You you guys hear what I'm saying here? What I'm going after is what God's doing. And if we're not careful, we can let this enter our hearts, kind of like what entered Michael's heart, where we despise extravagance. We despise something because it doesn't look like it's in order. I mean, how out of order is it for a king to take off his priestly robe and dance in his underwear? Not so much. But yet in God's order, it's completely different. Hear me loud and clear. Everybody, keep your clothes on. It's just, it, but here's the deal. Worship will always appen- uh, uh, worship 
Extravagant worship will always appear to be foolish to people who are distant from it. People who aren't engaging in a part of it. Critical people are always at a distance from the presence. Critical offense, you know what I'm talking about? It's always at a distance from it. I know this. I've been in situations where I'm not really in a good place and I'm critical. And I've seen worship happen and all I do is sit there and just go, yeah, that's probably not now. Right? I know none of you have never done this. (laughs) But you've been in things before where it's just like it's a little beyond your comfort zone. And you kind of look at it and go, yeah, I just, that's something wrong with that right there. (laughs) You know what? I have never in my life personally ever encountered God when I have that attitude. Never. I've never encountered it. But when I've come with this attitude of, man, that's awesome. That looks great. Jesus looks awesome on them. And even give the benefit of the doubt. You know what I'm saying, right? Even give the benefit, just say, come on, man. Just, you celebrate it, man. Let your freak flag fly. <laughs> did I just say that? I think I did. One last passage of scripture. Look at this. Look at Isaiah 54. If, 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 Mike, if Michael was barren because of her attitude and the despising in her heart of what extravagant worship looked like, then we have an antidote that's found here in Isaiah 54 verse 1. It says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. In other words, if you're not bearing fruit in any area of your life or it's just not to the degree that you know it's possible, don't stand in a place of despising because that increases the barrenness. Start to sing. Start to shout. Start to open up. It's called in Hebrews the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, Hebrews says. So in other words, you cannot, it's impossible to praise God in your heart. It's impossible. Because the sacrifice of praise is the fruit of our lips. So when I say things, even when I'm leading or somebody else is leading and they're saying, come on, just begin to thank the Lord. Begin to bless the Lord. You know what really should happen in the room? All the volume should go to a higher level at that point than whenever we're singing anything. Why? Because it's you. You don't have to worry about lyrics. You don't have to worry about the pitch of the song. You don't have to worry about timing. You, don't have to, you just begin to let it out. Is this making sense? Why is that so important? Because if there's any place of barrenness inside of us, let's not have the attitude where we're sitting here going, God, just come fix my barrenness. Come fix my barrenness. When the word's clear, open up your mouth. Begin to shout. Begin to cry out to the Lord. Begin to sing. And as you do that, you will, I guarantee you, you take this to the bank. It will begin to change inside of you. Take it to the bank. It will change inside of you. So, I think we ought to put this into practice. All right, band, come back up here. Now, everybody just got really uncomfortable, didn't they? Oh, yeah. We're just going to go through some worship here for a little bit. My, that clock back there says it's 940. I'm hoping that's not right. 
This is not an exercise, it's reality. It really is, guys. We've, we have got to see. I want to see even the culture of who we are begin to shift even more. I would, I would much, much rather in our worship times have to worry about somebody tripping and falling because we're just going for it. And somebody getting hurt. You know, those kinds of things going through your mind. Oh, my gosh, insurance, all that stuff. You know what? It's okay. All right? That's right. You get hurt in worship, just lay hands on them. We'll, we'll heal them. Everything will be fine. Hey, we got the ball rolling on it, right? Legs getting healed, backs getting healed. So if you hurt yourself, just make sure it's in that category. We haven't gotten to arms yet. Head injuries or anything like that, we haven't gotten to that yet. Some of you have head injuries, I can tell. They're talking to you. All right, let's all stand up. Oh, I want to laugh. I want to laugh and I want to have fun with God. I want to have fun with the church. I want to hear testimonies.